Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. Hello, hello. Check, check, check. Hello. Okay. Anyone want to give any um, quick feedback from last week? Anyone who actually was risky enough to try something different this week? You went home a different way, you got up early, you did some of those homework assignments that we had talked about before. There we go. Okay. And we'll just figure out what's going on. Technology has not been my friend this week. I updated my website, you know, like WordPress is supposed to do, and lots of stuff went away. It's like, really? You kidding me? Come on. So been in the rebuilding stage and now little buttons aren't. So anyway, I'm cursed. So if you don't want your phone to not work, stay away. <laughs> um, yeah, anyone, anyone try something, please. We took your idea to go on walks. Yes. And share what we were grateful for. How'd it go? And we love the time together. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. It's a good way to start a day or end a day even. Yeah. Especially with all the smoke and the sun, which makes it looks like the sky's on fire. It's just amazing to kind of watch all of that. Anyone else? Just tried something. Yes, sir. I found a balloon in the lunchroom at work one day. <laughs> I took it to some of my coworkers. I batted it to them back and forth. Immediately, the smile came on their faces. Uh, How about that? That all it takes is a balloon. A balloon. <laughs> 27 cents. <laughs> Very nice. Yes. Yeah. And on a whim, asked my mom if she wanted to go on one of those big rides. No kidding, the ones that make you throw up. 77, yeah. Excellent. 77 years old. Sure. I totally didn't expect her to do that. Yeah. 77 years old on the throw up ride at the fair. Fantastic. Fantastic. First time in 30 or 40 years. 30 or 40 years she's been on a ride. Isn't that fun? Anyone else? Just something that kind of. Please. Whoa, no GPS. Going old school. The, the street name and an L, and the street name and an R, and you know, that's how we used to do it. Yeah. We all should get lost more often. I believe it, because you just, you find the greatest little spots. So yeah, turn off your phone. I, I, I think I might have mentioned this, my, my son, when he first got his license, about two weeks after he got his license, I said, son, I need you to drive to Cannon Beach. Just go. And so he came from Clackamas area, 84, and if you're trying to get on to 26 West, there's that goofy exit that's kind of hard to know, if you're especially not familiar with it, there's like 14 roads that come on and off and all that. So he missed it, of course, and drove around downtown for two hours, literally. <laughs> he knows downtown now. And he, and he doesn't have a smartphone. He's old school flip phone, so he has no GPS. But after the third phone call of, Dad, where do I go from here? We didn't hear from him for an hour. And finally, Dad, I'm at Seaside. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. I'm going to get lunch and come home. Great. Come on home. So get lost. Yep. Anyone else? Anyone on this side? Just Yes, please. You decided to take voice lessons. Does Refuge have like a karaoke night? Can, that might draw more people in. How very exciting to hear music of all things. 
that's going to stir you up. That's going to connect all sorts of ways. What, how long has it been? Can I ask? It's been at least like three years. Three years. Okay. Very good. Very good. Yes. You actually used your painting stuff on vacation. You, they just didn't sit in a box somewhere. I bring them a lot. Yeah. But they don't get used. Wow. How very nice. Um, do you let people see your paintings? We hung one in the rental house. Superb. You hang one up and let people see it. That is fantastic. Just because it was one week homework doesn't mean you have to stop. You're allowed to keep walking. You're allowed to keep singing. You're allowed to keep riding roller coaster rides. You're allowed to keep, keep doing, keep doing, keep doing. I, the more you do it, the easier it gets and the more fun it becomes. That's fantastic. That is, I'm encouraged. We could just stop right here. That's, that's the best. Um, tonight... I've been really looking forward to tonight because this gets down to, I think, some of the most foundational stuff with getting unstuck. I think it is just essential. I think it is super important. Um, and I've kind of been building up to this because I actually think there's some very real answers tonight. But, again, there's always a little caveat. I've been working on this this week for a while, and I don't have a conclusion to the evening. I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know where this is going to go. The actual content of what's, what we're going to be talking tonight, um, it's actually very clear and very difficult all at the same time. Um, not difficult as in hard to understand. The concepts are very easy to understand. Application and consistency and wrestling with our own emotions that are connected to it a lot of stuff gets connected to it. And so what I'm going to ask for specifically tonight, in fact, even more so than maybe in some of the previous nights, is I really would like to wrestle together. I, I genuinely don't have, and in conclusion, we, I say these things. I, I don't know where it's going to go because some of the, that's just the nature of this conversation tonight. So if you would be willing to wrestle with me, and again, speak up real loud. I'll try to get close, and then I'll try to repeat the questions. But... Um, some really interesting stuff. Huh, but first, let's play a little game, shall we? Name this movie, please, okay? Anyone know what movie that is from? Really? Someone in the back. Wow, well done. Anyone else besides one guy? No, that's from a movie called Hell in the Pacific. Okay, that's like the guy who knew the thing from Shampoo, okay? That's just, the back row's really smart in this room, apparently, okay? Hell in the Pacific, very good. Um, old, old movie, I don't actually know what year, 50s, huh? 60s, all right. Um, basically an old movie, um, well, it'll make sense here, we'll skip that one, because I didn't expect anyone to know that one. How about that one? Oh, man, listen. Enemy Mine, very good. Name a year. 85. Very good. Enemy Mine. Quick synopsis to, to um, people, human and someone called the Drax, I think it is, get stranded on a, on a planet. They're mortal enemies. They end up having to um, work together to survive. Fun little twist, fun little twist. 
This guy right here, they reproduce asexually, and so after two or three years on this planet, he has a baby. Weird to say that. He has a baby, but he does. Dies, dies in childbirth. Welcome to Hollywood. Um, and this guy ends up having to raise this son, and it, it, it's a good movie. It's, it's not bad. Enemy Mine, if you like the 80s. All right. How about that one? Okay, now we're back into something that most people know. Dances with the Wolves. And the wolf's name? Two Socks. Very good. There we go. Kevin Costner. I swear that's the cover of the art. That's just... I didn't do that. There we go. All right. Next one. Here it is. Yes. That's right, Pocahontas. Anyone know what movie's coming next? Anyone find the theme so far? What's that? All right, so that's good old James Cameron's Avatar. Tell me what all these movies have in common. <laughs> the Rape of the Indigenous. Um, Enemy Mind would not fall into that category. Thank you very much for playing. Okay. <laughs> Any, yes, you want to try? Learning about the other? Learning about the other? Is it just learning about the other? Uh, Working with? Cultural conflict. Cultural conflict. Becoming like? Becoming like? It's an interesting phrase. Communication. Communication? Yeah, that might fall into there for sure. Adapting. Adapting, yep. Learning about, learning about yourself. All of these are true. It's probably one big word I haven't heard yet. Say it again. Meeting someone else's world or environment. Close. Culture clash. Making a shift. Yep. There's still one word that kind of plays into all of this that I haven't heard yet. So I'm going to. Potato chip. I don't know. Anyone else want to try? Empathy. Okay, we got empathy here. That's good. Similarities. <laughs> Every single one of them, they were enemies. Right? Every single one of them. Okay, we got the blue people here. Jake Sully. Right? We got two socks. God, I actually tried to pull the clip from the end of Dances with Wolves. If you haven't seen it, essential to see Let's just, just go right now, get up, okay, just go watch um, Dances with Wolves. The last scene with the, the Indian who they were mortal enemies and he's standing up on the ridge and he's just shouting. And what he shouts brings me to tears every time, every time. Enemy mine, enemy mine. Get back to the 80s, it's, it's this, this, they were mortal enemies. They tried to kill each other several times until they had to trust each other to survive, and then one entrusts the other with his child. And what actually makes it so good is, is the, the human in the story learns, learns the entire verbal heritage or history of the Drax, which is necessary for his son to have any place in that society. And so he goes to this other planet and stands up to represent this Drax, you know, a human on, on enemy territory, saying, I'm going to give this full history so that this young child can have a place in your world. 
and then it goes on and on, and actually that, that guy grows up and has another son, names it after the first guy, and just, it's a beautiful, beautiful story. The first movie, okay, Hell in the Pacific, well done. American and Japanese during World War II stuck on a little tiny island in the Pacific, and again, they have to, they're trying to kill each other until they realize they actually need each other to survive. Enemies becoming friends, becoming more than friends, depending on each other. This is a theme that is very, very important, and it makes for really good movies, okay? What do they have in common? But here's how good of a thing it is, okay? Um, anyone want to give me that number? Out loud, really loud. 2,787,965,000. 87 dollars. That is the gross income from Avatar. Avatar is the number one highest grossing movie of all time. Two billion dollars, almost three, 2.7 billion. This story of loving your enemies, of being able to put, a, put, a, put aside your prejudice, being able to humble yourself into a place that says, I will actually not just even tolerate my, my enemies, but I will actually love them and defend them. You can't tell me that that isn't worth something. The highest grossing movie of all time has that story. It's a story that is, that is much loved and is much repeated. Okay, there's still more movies I, couldn't, I didn't put up there, but lots of this theme plays through over and over and over again. The recipe we're going to use tonight is very, very simple. It's not a complex recipe, and I'm going to give you the, give you the end, and then we're going to go back and kind of flesh it out so that you can know kind of where we're heading. Simple recipe tonight is basically for us to not be stuck, for us to actually move from where we are to where we need to be, many, many of us need to be able to say, I have to think differently than the world because the world's recipe it doesn't work. The world's recipe actually keeps us immobile, keeps us stuck. I have to be able to respond exactly opposite to what sometimes my own nature wants me to do. I have to, this is the doing phase. I keep coming back to the doing, to the experiential, to the application. Learning will not ever be enough. You have to apply. You have to do something with it. The big one. And this is the one we're going to have lots and lots of conversations over, okay? If we're going to think differently than the world, we're going to actually have to trust God to be fair. And that statement right there might actually stir some stuff within you because that, those two words, God and fair, might not actually play into your paradigm of life. You've never had that experience. You're not sure how that even looks. And so that concept is going to be very um, challenging, shall we say. And then finally, address the resistance. The stuff we're going to be talking about, there's an emotional resistance piece. There's a part that says, I'm not so sure. I'm not comfortable with this. And so I'll, this is the piece that I want to work through together is, is how to address this resistance. Everyone tracking so far? Here's the themes. Do we have some fun stuff going on up there? Is it keep wanting to turn off? Is that... Is it doing okay? Okay. I just thought I saw it blinking and... We're going to spend most of the night looking at two passages. We're going to look at Romans 12, okay? And we're going to take it out of the message 
um, paraphrase. It's not actually a translation. It's a, um, Peterson kind of went through and put it into some everyday language. But it's the, the, some of the phrases he uses in it are just superb, superb. And so I wanted to read out of that and make some, uh, make some application out of those things. And then we're going to spend some time in Luke 6. This is, again, the, the original story to Enemy Mine, the original story to Hell in the Pacific, the original story to Avatar is found where? What's it called in the scriptures? It's, it's a parable. Anyone know the name of it? It didn't gross that much. The Good Samaritan. That's, ex that's exactly what it is. Here's an enemy, and I'm going to treat him completely antithetical to what culture should say. Apparently, Scripture doesn't gross as much as Hollywood, but it's still an incredibly powerful and powerful story. I want to read um, Romans 12 out of the message, and then we're going to take it apart piece by piece and see what happens with some of it. It's not going to be up there. Um, just listen par portions of it, and then I'll kind of put up the pieces that I want, I want to kind of highlight. Romans 12. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. I'm going to read that one again. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, what works better is to fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. The New English translation has one, one phrase in, in, verse, in verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Does that fly in the face of most stuff you hear in the world right now? Everyone is... What can I do to fit in? How can, I, how can I not rock the boat? What can I do to be accepted? What can I do to change? What can I do to be well-adjusted? Well, that actually is very, very subjective depending upon what your, what your benchmark is you're trying to be adjusted to. And, and if that benchmark is skewed, if that benchmark is, is inappropriate, I'm not so sure we want to spend a whole lot of time and energy trying to work to get as close to them as possible. Here's the things that I would stick out, uh, out of that last passage. Give up my everyday life. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. This isn't, this isn't the compartmentalization. I've been watching this happen so often. People are going, I, I want to be a spiritual person. 
And so I'm going uh, to try to find some sort of spiritual practice, some sort of spiritual belief, some sort of spiritual framework that I can fit into my life over here. But they, they, they kind of sample and are going, which ones are going to work for my life right here? How can, I, how can I adopt it to me? So again, I'm the benchmark, and what can I find that's going to fit into me? Scripture never, never endorses that. Scripture says, I need you to transform to this. I need you to transform to what God says. And that is met with tons of resistance. We Americans, we know like that at all. That is uncomfortable. You're meaning I need to, I need to give up my life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? That's, that's un-American. That's wrong. That's not even biblical, according to most people out there. Okay? They think you know, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness is somewhere in the Bible. It isn't. Every day, give up everyday control. It's not just I can compartmentalize this here and then I can live my life the rest of the way that I want to. For, for you to be unstuck, there has to be a holistic adaptation. There has to be an acceptance that says, I'm not going to try to be me anymore. I am willing, I am willing to take on an entirely new identity. That's weird. The phrase, I, I, I wrestled with it a lot, um, this whole phrase of dying to yourself. Has anyone heard that phrase from Scripture? We're supposed to die to our old self. I finally kind of came up with an idea of kind of how to get my head wrapped around that. And um, it's kind of a morbid kind of thing, in, a, in, a, in essence. I'm actually looking forward to dying. I think it's going to be a really incredible experience. It's going to be odd transitioning from this life to the next life. I don't know how it's going to happen. I also want to be around for the rapture. I think that'd be cool too. I don't know if I can, you know, sign up for both. I don't know how that's going to work. But it's going to be a fascinating, fascinating experience to see how this happens. And so I was doing a little kind of mental gymnastics one day, and I started pursuing it going, man, how refreshing would it be to be dead? It would just be easy. I wouldn't have any more mortgage. That right there, that's worth something, okay? No more mortgage. I wouldn't have to worry about school loans. I wouldn't have to worry about my kids. I wouldn't have to worry about if the car is, is not running right. I wouldn't have to worry about being late to this thing. I wouldn't have to worry about retirement anymore. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. All of these things, it's like, I'm done. I'm done. That would be so very, very nice. And then I said, what would it be like if I could, if I could have a do-over, a reset button, and then have a chance to actually come back six months later? Where, what would I do? Would I come live in Portland again? Would I come hang out with, my, with the friends that I actually have? Would I choose the same job? Would I, would I drive the same car? What would I do if I could actually rebuild my life from the ground up? I also play with this. This was kind of in Failure 101, so if you listen to that. But if, if my house burned down, man, would I live in the same neighborhood? Would I buy the same furniture? Would I buy the same clothes? Or if I had a chance to completely rebuild myself from the ground up, what would I do? That would be amazing. You know, State Farm shows up and says, here's a check. This covers your house, everything inside it. Rebuild your life. Whew. What would I do? What would I play? That is, that is 
um, die, my old self is dead, and now I get to rebuild my life. And that's an intriguing thought. And then I took it one step further that says, why in the world do I need to wait for my house to burn down? Or even worse, why do I have to wait to be dead? That's kind of a permanent state as far as I'm aware of. Only one guy I know kind of challenged that. Um, why do I have to wait? I'm not going to wait anymore. If I don't like the clothes I'm wearing, bundle them all up. As long as I got a good pair of underwear, a good pair of socks, I'll run to Target and buy something else, or I'll, you know, I'll go find something else that'll work. I don't have to wait to actually reinvent my life. If I don't like the house I'm living in, I'm allowed to change it. I'm allowed to move. I'm allowed to go somewhere. If my friends, as I'm spending time with them, are sucking energy out of me and they're not invigorating me, why in the world do I keep calling them up asking to hang out? Or why do I keep saying yes when they ask me to hang out and then I, every time I walk back from them, I'm going, well, that wasn't actually very fun. Why in the world do I, is it boring? Or why in the world do I go and there's strife or conflict or complaining or toxic? Why do I wait? I don't have to wait. And scripture is incredibly clear. It says, die to your old self. Become something better. But it says, here's how to, here's how to don't just kind of try to invent yourself willy-nilly. There's a, there's a recipe that scripture talks about to, to say how to build that. This one, man, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture. Ouch. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. I'm a counselor. I'm not supposed to tell people, are you well-adjusted? And now I'm telling you, we're not supposed to be well-adjusted to this culture when this culture is skewed. That's, again, I want you to pay attention to what's going on inside you as I'm saying some of this. There might be some resistance to that. There might be some questions. Some of you might be going, oh, yeah, I agree fully. I want you to gauge yourself. How is this sitting with you? We're actually called to be countercultural. How weird's that? We're called to just not even fit in. We're called to do something exactly opposite to what the culture says. Enemy mine. Kevin Costner. What happened to Kevin Costner in Dances with Wolves? What did his culture end up telling him? What happened? Who's not seen Dances with Wolves, first off? Oh, my goodness. Okay, massive spoiler alert, so just be aware of it. For those who have seen it, what happened to his culture, the one that was supposedly right? What did, how did they treat him? They tried to kill him, didn't they? They hunted him down and tried to kill him. That's fairly countercultural. Be changed from the inside out. Man, we spend so much energy going, I'm trying to look good, I'm trying to be good, I'm trying to fit in, I'm trying to, to not rock the boat. We're trying to have our, in, or our external appearances and behaviors connect with anyone we can around us. And we're afraid, oh my gosh, if I don't connect, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be ostracized, I'm going to be lonely, I'm going to be forgotten. I'm not going to find someone who's going to love me. And so we end up terrified of that, of that loneliness piece, of that fear of not connecting in some way. Instead, it says we're supposed to be changed from the inside out. We're supposed to start here and go, go, 
what is my foundation internally, and then how does my behavior reflect that? Again, Dance with the Wolves, we watched that whole process happen. It was fascinating, fascinating to watch that play out. And then, this is what happens. These are the cookies at the end after you put all the ingredients together. You get a developed, well-formed maturity. That's not a bad deal out of this product, out of this process, is it? To become well-formed and mature. If I could guarantee you, right now, you can become incredibly mature. You're not going to be worried about relationships. You're not going to be worried about status. You're not going to be worried about all the things that we typically take so much of our mental energy and time. All of that's going to be gone. This is the recipe. This is the recipe. Romans 12 goes on. Okay, I'm going to keep reading through some of this. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities to relations to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace. I should do an entire series on that one word, grace. Man, we hate grace. We hate grace. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing their goodness to God. Let's say that again. It's important that you are not that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. This is in essence, the root of being stuck. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. This is that internal compass. This is the standard that you measure everything against. When this becomes your measuring stick, when this is your benchmark, you stop being stuck. We get stuck because we are comparing ourselves to everyone else around us. We get stuck because we look at someone and go, how come they have what I don't have? How come I can't do that? How come I'm not as smart as? How come I'm not as gifted as? How come I'm not as privileged as? We get stuck because we do the comparison thing. And this, this right here, and again, it's not complex to understand it. Application, that can be a challenge, and that's what we're going to wrestle with tonight. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. The first step is defining ourselves according to God and not according to everyone else. What if the people you're sitting with right next to you you stopped actually worrying about what they think about you? What if the people you're sitting right next to could just sit there and there is genuine, unconditional acceptance of yourself and of them? Because you all recognize, we all recognize, we are imperfect, flawed human beings who have been loved and accepted equally. We don't have to compare stories. We don't have to compare wounds. We don't have to compare successes. 
we are all fully and completely accepted from the ground up. For some of you, that's revolutionary. That is transformative. That's terrifying. Again, we hate grace because we want to be able to prove to everyone, look what I've done. I, can't, I don't want to accept something from you. I don't want to accept kindness from you because I need to earn it. I need to prove to you that I'm worthy of it. I need to prove to you that I'm capable of receiving this. It's two of the hardest words I have to work with. Many of my clients are thank and you. Because when someone does something gracious and kind and loving towards them, they go, what do I owe you? How do I make up for it? How do I balance the scales? And they can't go to the thank you. I simply accept. Terrifying. Terrifying. Each of us finds meaning and function as a part of his body. So if Christ now becomes the benchmark, we are no longer the benchmark. If Christ is now the benchmark, in this way we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. And then this is where I just, again, Peterson has a great way of describing this. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? You take a finger, you slice it off, and you put it on the table. What's it going to do? It has absolutely no value. It can't function apart from the body. We have to be connected. Again, this, this desire to be autonomous, to prove ourselves, we actually start to tend to separate ourselves from the group. And we go, I, I have to prove that I'm good enough, and then I'll come back into the body. That's like the finger going, I'm going to separate from the body, and then once I can um, hitch enough rides as a thumb, then I've proven myself, and I'm worthy to be a thumb again. Ridiculous. It doesn't work that way. We only have value within the body. It's crazy. So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelous functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. This is scripture. This is Romans very clearly going, stop it. It's okay. Rest. Be at peace. Breathe. You're good enough. I want you to hear that again. You are good enough. It's time to stop. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the people around you. It doesn't matter. And then... Again, Romans is such a cool book. And then he goes into an incredibly long list going, you need to know what it looks like, guys. You need to know what it looks like to live counterculturally. You need to know what it looks like to not be of this world. Excellent. I'll give you some examples. Here we go. How to be different. And this is scripture. This is Romans. Okay? This isn't my points. I totally plagiarized Romans. Okay? This isn't me. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. This is the message version again. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. 
Man, those last three words right there, how many of you heard the whole fake it till you make it? I used to live by that. One of the worst, worst pieces of advice you can ever be given. It is exhausting. It is terrifying. Because I lived in the space of being afraid I was going to get discovered eventually. And it's like, oh, I actually don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I was faking it long enough to you know, get the job or to, to get accepted in some way. Man, this could be also the poser principle, okay? Don't be a poser. Yes? How does that correspond with what you were talking about last week and two weeks ago, which was essentially sometimes you have to physically change your yep. before you mentally change it? Yep. Faking it till you're making it is going, I don't want anyone to know, and I'm going to try to portray myself this way, and I'm not going to be honest with people. What you just talked about, what I, which was last week, which is I'm going to have to try to get into a different state. You go, I'm trying to get into a different state. This is uncomfortable for me. This is new for me. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. You're still honest, and you're trying something new. Okay. Does that make sense? So it has to do with your, your stance as far as what you're trying to do. Transparency would be a, a good way of putting it. Again, we hate being transparent because if people, if people really know me, they won't like me. That's the shame message. People who don't have shame go, hey, I'm going to try this. Watch. I don't know what's going to happen. Let's see what happens. And if I, if I burn out, if I crater out, okay, I crater out. I had an audience. And, and they're not afraid to make mistakes in front of other people. Back to the failure series. All right, we've got a long list here. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Again, this is how you live counterculturally. This is enemy mind. This is Kevin Costner in Dances with Wolves. This is Avatar, okay? Run for dear life from evil. They did that a lot in Avatar, okay? Big mechs coming after them. They were running for life, and they were trying to hold on to what is good. Be good friends with, be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Isn't that strange? I always love the combinations, okay? So, be good friends who love deeply, and then he says, place yourself second. That's an odd way to love people. Instead of, he could have said, be good friends who love deeply, um, serve everyone, okay? Make sure that you are always giving to other people. He could have said that, but he doesn't. He says, practice playing second fiddle, making sure other people are more important than your needs. We're going to talk more about that later. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Wow, there's a theme right there. Imagine that. That's actually a biblical theme. Self-care. Self-care right there. Don't keep going. Rest sometimes. You're actually not going to be able to love well if you are burned out. Crazy, isn't it? You love people by saying, I can't come tonight. I'm, I'm a little tired and I'm taking good care of myself. It's called a boundary, but it's biblical. Be alert, servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. I love that word, cheerfully. Because a lot of people are going, man, if God shows up, I'm terrified. I'm terrified he's going to come and put the smack down on me. I'm terrified he's going to tell me just how bad I am. I'm terrified he's going to point out every wrong thing I've done. And so people are living in fear. We are not called to live in fear. We're called to say, I can't wait till he comes. Woohoo! The sooner the better. Let's be cheerful about it. 
not afraid. Don't quit in hard times. And again, he doesn't say, so work harder. He doesn't say that. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. If I was actually a pastor and did an exegetical study on this, there's just lots and lots of this kind of back and forth that would be really fun to take apart. But we're called to pray all the harder. And again, for some of you in this room, that word right there is charged. What do you mean just pray? What does that do? That's, that's doesn't, that doesn't do anything. Praying doesn't work. Or I've been told that over and over in my life. Just read your Bible and pray more and things will get better. And they really haven't. So prayer's tainted in some way. That's not what it's talking about. You had a question? Yes. Quit yeah. I mean, like, because obviously there is a good time sometimes to quit. Something. Yeah. So what is, is that like in your relationship with God, like still in faith, or like what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I got a whole long list here of appropriate times to um, keep people accountable, Okay. So there's times very clearly it says there you're not supposed to pursue them anymore. You are supposed to quit. And there's other times it says don't quit. Lots of contextual, lots of, lots of stuff around that. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Okay? Find people who actually need help and do something about it. Don't just wait. Be creative in how you help them. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Right there. <sighs> Good night, everybody. Let's just go home. That, that is tough. I mean, that is hard. But apparently, now see, I didn't do that. There it is. Okay. Apparently, if you make a movie about that, you can make a number one blockbuster. Because that is Avatar. But we don't have to wait for our, our own movie. We can live that in our own life. Yes? Can I go back? No. Once we're past, it's done. Oh, nope, that one. Oh, how about that one? Perfect. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospital. We're good? Anything else I can do for you? You sure? I got coffee and cookies out there. We can go to some of those. <laughs> Can you make a comment? Yeah. Sure. Well, I was just thinking, I'm kind of stuck on the don't quit part. Okay. Because I had a life-changing revelation uh, where it was not black and white. Right. It was about grace and mercy. Yes. And so it feels to me like that might be that message. Okay. Like for anybody who needs to hear that, I want to say that. Okay. Put a few more words to that. How does grace and mercy apply to the not quitting? Because sometimes you In fact, hold on, hold on. Stand, turn, and I'll come over here so you can talk to me. Okay. okay. Sometimes you don't know when to quit or not quit. And so in those situations, you have to remember that it's not about a right or a wrong and that it is about grace and mercy and that there is a bigger picture and that God is in the midst of yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. We could do a whole, again, difference between grace and mercy. Anyone need some clarification around that real fast? Grace is not getting something that you should get. 
Okay? Nope, sorry, 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 sorry. Got those backwards. Dang it. I was that close to being really profound, and it's just gone now. If my, if my daughter misbehaves and she is deserving of a punishment, and I say, I will not give you that punishment, I am being merciful. Okay? If my daughter is doing something inappropriate and I go, you're doing something inappropriate and I'm going to give you a gift. That's grace. And that's tough. That's tough. Laugh with your, laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they are down. That is the no one's supposed to stay in one state all the time rule. You're allowed to transition. No one's happy all the time and no one's sad all the time. We are supposed to ebb and flow in and out of these seasons in our life. And this is what we do. Share tears when they're down and laugh. Get involved. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Find the people who haven't been connected with yet and make sure they get connected. Don't wait for them to approach you. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. Again, that, that juxtaposition is fascinating for me. Don't hit back. Don't return evil for evil. And apparently, it's easy to do that when you recognize the beauty in somebody. Fascinating. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. I so love the conditional statement on there. If you got it in you. Because sometimes, not so much. Just don't have it. And I think the important word here is everybody. I think there's some people who are easier to get along with and some people who just aren't. They tax, they exhaust, they wear you down. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. That's that last portion of the recipe I talked about. Trusting that God will bring the accounts into balance. If that is hard, then this whole thing gets really complicated really fast. Really complicated really fast. Don't insist on getting even. A little preemptive question here. Why? Why is that so hard? I want to answer that question here in just a second, but let's get through this list first. Oh, apparently that is the list. There's one more. I didn't write it down, though. Our scriptures... Tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Do exactly the opposite. It begins with transforming your mind. You have to let go of this concept that you've grown up with your entire life about, I need to fit in with this world. You're not supposed to fit into this world. You don't remain stuck when you choose not to fit into this world. Chew on that for a minute. It's, it's really tricky to get your head wrapped around. It, it's amazing. It's cost you something. 
So here's my question. Who do you need to treat differently? Don't answer out loud, but I want you to think for a second. If you were to actually apply this in your world, who do you, who's your enemy? Who's the person that creates that visceral response in you that you're going, I can't believe it, I can't believe it? Who do you need to change and approach towards? Again, hang on to that for yourself. Everyone has their own story. And this isn't probably the proper context to just start blurting out those names. I don't, I don't want you to do that. But I do have the question, what would it cost you if you actually tried to apply this? If you said, I have spent however many years or months or days of my life trying to do it the world's way, and I still feel stuck and that's why I need to go to a series to figure out how, how to get unstuck. If this is one recipe, if this is one way to actually get unstuck, what will it cost me? What will I have to give up? How will it impact me? And then, what's your initial points of resistance to these ideas? This is actually something I would like to discuss at the moment. Anyone paying attention to what's going on? Anyone feel any resistance to this idea of loving your enemies? Anyone feel any resistance to pulling a, a Dances with Wolves? Yes. Can you put word? You, okay, thank you. You feel resistant. Can you um, put any words to what that is? And again, you don't have to... I want my kind of justice. I should have actually had a big whiteboard. That would have been a good thing right now. I'll know that better for next time. Okay. So hold on. I want my kind of justice. Somebody else. Yep. I'm going to lose my validation or my value in some way. Does that sound right? Okay, so you can just yell it out as I'm typing. I'm going to lose my validation or value. Someone else. Uh, nope, Sorry. that's okay. At what point do boundaries play into this, right? Great question, great question. I wish I had an answer. Okay. Um, at what point do boundaries play in? Oh, you do? We're not answers yet. Okay, hold on. Just, okay. Yes. I have two. Two. lines aren't clear. I think it's really easy when we have a, a Hitler or someone who is evil incarnate. 
But when it's your spouse or when it's your family or when it's your, your sister, whoever it is, yeah. Okay, so that was one. And two is... You have to play by the rules of the world to put a roof over your head. And, yeah, to live. I mean, there's, there's lots of things that I, like, as I'm writing this down, I'm like, well, I mean, that doesn't really work in the real world. Right. Oh, ooh. Ah. Okay, sorry. That doesn't really work in the real world. <laughs> and what's your name so I can put that on here? <laughs> Wow. Actually, you have actually just summed up what I hear a lot of people saying. That's that compartmentalization again. And again, at the very beginning of this passage, it says, put it into your waking up and your morning and you're making your waffles. And you're going, like everyone else, that's not just you. That's hard. I'm going to come back here. Hold on a second. Man, okay, this is what I like. I see you over there. I promise I'll get back to you. Please. So one of the hard things for me Loudly. Um, when my enemy has not acknowledged their wrongdoing. Okay, so the enemy doesn't admit it or take responsibility? Yeah, you should get better enemies. Because when you have the enemies that just sign up and go, yeah, I really messed up, that's easier. Okay. Enemy doesn't take. Now you see why I don't have a conclusion to this night? Because the resistance, the questions are hard. And they're visceral, aren't they? Let's go here, and I'm going to try to get to everybody. Okay, so love is a complex word. Okay. And uh, is the use of the word love here yep. the same as to love your neighbor as yourself? Okay. Uh, Different quality of love. Yes. So we could break it down into the original Greek and Hebrew and do, a, a, again, a complex lexiconical study of the, of the original texts. Maybe. I still see you. Hold on. Yes. Well, I know that in and one in you. relationship, I have spent years trying to, I think, um, falsely apply biblical Okay. <laughs> this is a theoretical for other people who need to honor their fathers and mothers. Okay, got it. That, that has allowed um, just a very toxic relationship and a that, that just all boundaries were trampled down and they were allowed to do what they wanted to do because I believe that the Bible was called, and then to die to self and all of those things kind of got folded in and really created quite a mess. So we could call that conflicting passages or conflicting um, instructions. Yes. Honor your father and mother and love your enemies. How do you play those things out? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Hold on. Your turn. <laughs> Are you going to address the fact that some people make, need to make the shift to loving themselves? 
oh, am I, gonna, am I going to make the point that people need to love themselves first? No. It's not in the outline. It is essential, absolutely essential. Um, I would refer you back to the Shame podcast series, which was two, three years ago, maybe, and the, um, the self-esteem one that I also did. Well, I'm just, I, I don't need you to talk about right. it. I already, I already know that. Got it. But, like, I guess I just feel like that needs to be said. Yep. That, yeah. Love your neighbor as yourself is actually incredibly scary because a lot of us don't love ourselves very good. And if we're going to hold them up to that standard, our neighbors are screwed. <laughs> right? Because we would never say things to our neighbors that we're saying to ourselves over and over. I'll get over there and then, hold on, sorry, I made a promise. i got to come back over here. Go for it. Yes, really loud. Yep. And then met God, but I, that kept me from God because I felt that he was going to tell me what I had to do and then I wouldn't be psyched because I thought my own. So uh, then coming to know the Lord and I'm trying to understand that he's not controlling me, I have to learn how to allow him to be that part of my life. It's very difficult today. Yeah. Because you've been on the, again, on this continuum, on the, on the more passive side, it's actually healthier for you to find your voice, which is almost looking like, stop being so loving, okay? Stand up for yourselves. Be empowered in some way. And is there a way to both be powerful, empowered, directive, and loving? I would argue absolutely. And, but again, what does that look like? If you've never had that model or shaped, it's ambiguous. Yes. Thank you. Um, I think my resistance is related to that the cost is too high, and I just feel that when And I think. I think I might have heard you say, I don't want to lose like that. Did I hear that correctly? Insinuating that there are winners and losers. And that it's a competition. <laughs> Again, we could have a lot of conversations. Yes? Mine was a lot more simple, but the same idea. It was just, I will get hurt. I will get hurt. If I love, I'm going to get hurt even more. I'm going to get hurt even more or again. Yep, real loud. People don't change. <laughs> you guys are starting to amend your answers after you shoot them out there really fast. That's interesting. People don't change. Anything else? What's the points of resistance? I saw a couple more hands. Yes, please. I guess to me, when I think about my 
Yep. Okay. Um, codependency. It's yeah. the biblical codependency. That makes sense. I, it makes sense. I'm following you. Yep. Yeah. Again, it goes back to that boundary thing, but. Um, Questioning what, how do I actually love them appropriately and giving too much of myself in some way. Okay? I think I'm tracking with you. Maybe I missed a couple things, but I think I'm mostly the way there. Yes? I'd have to be willing to get God again. Is that what you said? Oh, get got. Not God. Got it. That's a whole different meaning. I have to get got again. The phrase I use is we live in a world of potential harm and recognizing I might actually get hurt again, get got again, get played again, get used again. Real similar to this one over here. We'll come back to you in just a second. Yes, please. I'm sorry, as, as loud as you can. That's okay. It's a loss. It's a loss of your reputation, and you have to admit that you are changing. Did I hear that right? It's a loss of your reputation. To love your enemies, to act counterculturally, you lose your reputation. Man, that's a good one. I know the game's killing me, and I don't want to stop because if I stop, they might win. I don't, I don't want to get out of the game yet. Back to that winning theme that was randomly mentioned by somebody. Yeah. Um, yes, ma'am. You, yeah, you had one. My enemy is actually myself. Right? Are you allowed to be gracious towards yourself? <laughs> That's tricky. All right, just a few more. Thank you. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm going to just yell. At Perfect. Your face. I'll come over here.
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. That's really good. Let's just do one more maybe. And then, okay, I've got three more. Shoot. Okay. Nobody else raise your hands. One, two, three. Got it. That's the last. So let's go all the way to the back and then here and then you'll wrap us up. Nope. Right there. You. I have to recognize that I'm no better than them. That hurts. I have to recognize that I'm no better than them. I like that. Yes, ma'am, right here. As loud as you can. Oh, I was thinking about growing up and having, not having any help from my family. I was the only girl in the family, and it was very hard to deal with. And um, I, so I would hide from some of the relatives and the people that uh, all my mother would be rushing to, having a girl instead of a boy. So I would call it the Jekyll and Hyde syndrome, because you would never know how someone was going to react. Huh. Yeah. And, and that, that happens to all of us in many different ways. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't know what's going to... Inconsistency is terrifying. One more was back here. <laughs> um, I guess I work at a big corporation. Yeah. And I always want to invest in people that need it and want it and yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. It's hard to feel like you're making a choice between you're pouring that energy into someone that... Yeah. So you want to pour your energy into the right people who are going to be appreciative and or need it. Oh, return on investment kind of thing. These people are going to change more and faster and it's just wiser to invest into them. Right? Ish. Maybe. Um, finding the people who want to be loved. Ooh. Okay, so that list, just holy cow. I want my kind of justice. I'm going to lose my validation or value. At what point do boundaries set in or are okay to be in? Not clear lines of who my enemy actually is. It doesn't actually work in the real world. What happens when your enemy doesn't take responsibility? Honor your father and mother as conflicting passages. What do you do with some of that? I need to find my voice and confront, not love. The cost is too high. I don't want to lose that way again. I'm going to get hurt even more or again. People don't change or most people don't change, as we had a quick little adjustment there. What happens if your loving turns into codependency? I don't want to get got again. You're going to lose your reputation. I want to keep playing the game when my enemy is actually myself. We got two of those right there. Doormat, I feel stronger 
when not loving but only hurt myself. I don't want to be a doormat. I don't want to continue being a doormat. I don't want to get used again. I have to recognize that I'm no better than them. Inconsistent behavior. Finding the people who want to be loved. I don't know how James Cameron made this look so easy on the movies, but man, apparently, if you're in a big blue thing, it's a lot easier to love your enemy, right? This is a hard concept. That's what I'm saying. Being able to talk about it and explain it isn't, isn't, doesn't actually give us the answers because there's so many points of resistance to this. If we could sum up the resistance in, what, in one word or one concept, anyone want to give it a shot at that because there's a theme that plays through every single one of these. You want to go for it? Fear? Fear? Um, I think there's a one that's a little bit stronger, but it plays into it somewhat. Huh? One more time. Justice. Justice. Um, control, close. Self-worth, self-protection, in stereo. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. I think we're getting closer. Oh, we have a winner. Oh, actually, I didn't write it down, apparently. Ha, ha, ha. Shoot. Again, I'm just blowing the moment. That's just, I think all of this comes down to pride. I think this comes down to, a, and again, I've heard words of I have to humble myself. I have to admit that I'm, that I'm not better than them, that I'm actually kind of the same. I have to learn that I have to love myself. I have to learn that there might not be a winner or a loser. Pride. Pride keeps us stuck. Kevin Costner. I mean, I begin, dances with wolves. Can you feel the pride in the army? Because how do they, how do they see the Native Americans? They're backward savages, right? Um, Avatar, you know, let's take care of the blue monkeys. There's, there's an incredible level of pride in that. And we, we're told that we need to be prideful. We're told that we need to be proud of who we are. That is the message of the world. And I think pride keeps us stuck. Pride says, I don't want to be got again. I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to be a doormat. Pride keeps us stuck. There is an alternative. And again, here's where scripture just gets so cool around some of this. It blows me away. Luke 6. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden variety of sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers do that. When we're only nice to the people who are nice to us, we ain't all that special. The people who change the world are the ones who go, you've just smacked me down and I will not return evil for evil. You're no different when you just love the people who are nice to you. We are called to do it differently and we will not, we will not get stuck. It will cost us something. And in this economy, in this eternal economy, I don't think there's anything better to invest in. 
as a counselor, as a counselor, I carry the weight of my clients. I'm not a superhuman. They're not just numbers and they're not just people who show up and I sit with them for an hour. I feel their weight. I feel their sorrow. I feel their grief and loss and anger and fear. And I can't think of a better way to spend my time. And again, not because I'm some, something special, but because I want to invest my life in a way that's going to matter. I want to have something that matters for eternity. And you don't have to be a counselor to do that. You can sit with your neighbor. You can sit with your spouse. You can sit with your roommate. You can sit with your coworker. About a year ago, I was driving home, and there was a woman walking down the road who her shirt was torn. She was holding her side. There was some blood. There was some blood on her face, and she was sobbing as she's walking down the street. Not a normal sight for my neighborhood. And so I turned around. I jumped into the apartment complex. She was walking past, and I kind of came around and stopped at the intersection just as she got there. And I said, can I help you? And she goes, yes, I was just attacked. And she was, I mean, she was bloodied. She was messed up. And I said, let me help you. So um, she actually just came around and got in the car, just sat down. I called 911. I've just picked up this woman. I'm going to head over to Kaiser Sunnyside right now and take her to the emergency room. And that's where the police met her. And I was one of 50 cars that went past her. I don't know if anyone else saw her, but she was someone in need. And again, I'm not someone special. I just happened to see the need and stopped. We can do that on a, on a daily basis with, with, with people you know much, much better than a perfect stranger. There's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors. Your task is to be true, not popular. There's the other recipe. Your task is to be true, not popular. That flies in the face of all sorts of stuff. And what if you finally, tonight, go, I'm done. I'm done trying to fit in. I'm done trying to be popular. Instead, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's right. I um, had an opportunity to um, sit with a couple, and they've just got done building their building a house, and it was a very unpleasant um, experience with the builders. And the builders are building some other houses um, in their proximity, so they see these builders every day, even though the builders are done working on their house. And they're going, it's just, it's tainting the neighborhood, it's tainting this whole experience. And so I said, what would it feel like for you if once a week you show up with coffee and donuts for those builders? You just leave them out on the work site. You don't even have to say hi to them. You don't have to say anything to them. Just leave it for them, and you come back. What would that do to your insides? What would you do? What would that do towards your attitude towards them? I was actually fortunate enough to um, be attending a church somewhere else in, in um, the Portland area here, and they got wind of a protest. Some pro-choice um, people were coming to protest 
the, the church service on a Sunday morning a couple weeks from, from, you know, whenever they got wind of it. And so instead of, um, you know, trying to figure out how they can block the protesters, instead of figuring out how they can contend with them, it was actually during some bad weather, and so the church rented a large canopy so that they could protest out of the rain. And they had a table with donuts and donuts and donuts and warm coffee and the nicest, kindest little old ladies to go out there and serve them. (laughs) Can you talk about the most brilliant strategy for dealing with people who are trying to protest? And after about an hour, hour and a half, the protest broke up. They were supposed to be there all morning. And they just broke up and went away. And actually, we heard later on, because one of them came back the next week, and they said, we feed on people's anger. That's what keeps us motivated. And when you weren't responding in anger, we didn't know what to do. It completely diffused it. And so one person out of all the protesters said, why? Why in the world did you do that? It works. It actually does work. It's hard. It's terrifying. There's no guarantee. But it works. Yes, a soft, a soft answer turns away wrath. Man, it really does. There's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them. Oh, I already read that. Okay, that's really good, apparently. To you who are ready for the truth. Okay? I love that phrase again. There's a subjectiveness to that. To those who are ready for the truth implying that not everyone is ready to live this way. That might be you in this room right now. I understand that. These points of resistance are real. But if you can take one step and even consider maybe doing it, then you might get one step closer to not being stuck anymore. To you who are ready for the truth, I say this. Love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise Regret it. You'll never regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. This is the core of Scripture. Because we were flawed, because we were broken, because we did not treat God well, He still loves us. And the gospel is purely this, which says, if we've been treated that way, how much more so should we treat others? Because we're going to be mistreated over and over and over again. But oftentimes we forget, because of pride, just how messed up we've been. Because we go, I'm pretty good. Look at all the nice things I'm doing. I'm not bothering anybody. I'm not hurting anybody. Comparatively to everybody else. You see how that that backfires? When you're comparing yourself to everyone else, I'm not as bad as they are. And if I actually have to humble myself and say, actually, I might not be that good. Man, 
when you don't use the comparison this way, when you use the comparison this way, we've all got a long way to go, a long way to go. Our Father is kind, you be kind. That is the comparison. He doesn't say 93% of the population is kind, therefore you should fit in with everyone else and do exactly what they say. No. God is kind, you be kind. That is our benchmark. That is what we compare ourselves to. And when we measure ourselves according to that, we will not be stuck. Ever. We will be mature. We will be embraced. We will be loved. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Read that one again. Give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. <sighs> Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Okay. <sighs> Thoughts or questions right now? This is a, this is a ton to, to soak in. And I wanted to put this last portion on here as how to relate to a hurtful person because when our enemy is hurtful, how do we actually relate to them? What does loving look like on a practical way? Do we just need to ignore everything they've done? Okay, I'm going to argue probably not. But questions and I'll get to you. Yeah, you know, in a politically charged uh, culture, Yep. Yep. Yes. This is a true statement. You will collect attention that is not always positive. You will be a lightning rod. You will get hammered. But if you're comparing yourself to everyone else and you're going, I need to live an easy life, then that might say, I don't want to get that negative attention. If you compare yourself to God again then you're going, is that worth it? Is doing the right thing worth taking the heat for that? Well, I have an answer for you. Imagine that. Somewhere. I thought I did. Come on. But we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not just please ourselves. That's Romans 15. But we who are strong, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to be stronger than you, and I'm going to bear your mistake. You've done something wrong. You have offended me. You have legitimately cost me something. And I will not seek revenge. I will not ask you to make it right. I will bear that wrongdoing. Imagine that. Again, the world doesn't, doesn't tell us to do that. The world says... Well, let's lawyer up. Let's get it right. Let's get even. And not just get even. Let's, let's make sure that we get more. How's that been working out for our culture? Not so much. 
Another question, yes. Is it better to be obedient if you're not sincere? Is it better to be obedient if you're not sincere? That sounds like a trick question. I need a drink of water. Um, Is it better to be obedient, (coughs) excuse me, and not sincere? Who didn't answer that either. (laughs) Who are you comparing to? What standard are you using at that point? Hold on, let me cough here. (coughs) I would argue that your behavior right there is trying to please other people. And if you're not sincere, God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at at behavior. And again, scripture I think is incredibly clear that says you've done lots and lots and lots of stuff in my name, but you haven't done it with the right heart and it has not counted to you as righteousness. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so that's one answer. That's one phrase of it. I think that we need to do the right thing because it's the right thing, even if we don't want to do the right thing. I think it's appropriate and healthy and good um, to be as honest and as truthful and, and live our lives as lined up to truth as possible, that will just work out better for us. I don't want to pay my taxes. I really don't like writing that check. But I live in the society where if I don't pay my taxes, I go to jail and I, and, I, and I will do something that I don't like to do because it's the right thing to do. I like driving on nice roads. I like schools that work, all those kinds of stuff. So I will pay my taxes even though my heart is not in it. Does that make sense as well? Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm going to do the right thing towards you, even though I really want to just smack you upside the head. Right? I heard the story a long time ago about a husband and a wife, and the wife um, one day just made the very concrete statement, I do not love you anymore, husband. I will stay married to you because we have children. I'm not going to disrupt their lives, but I want it to be known very clearly that I do not love you. And he goes, thank you for letting me know. I appreciate that. And he, with the lots and lots of support of those around him, he made it a point to love her even though he was getting nothing out of it. That's that passage I just read. If we do good things because we get good things back, that doesn't count anything towards us. It's when we do things and we get nothing in return, that's when we are being most Christ-like. That's when we're living counterculturally. And so he would do things that demonstrated love towards her, and she would remind him, this doesn't change anything about us. And he goes, I know. It doesn't have to. But you still have inherent value and worth, and I will treat you 
the way you deserve to be treated. Not because I get something out of it, but because you deserve to be treated this way. And it became inescapable for her over time. Again, this is not a fast solution, but over the next couple of years, her heart softened. Because she, she tried to get him to not like her. And it didn't work. That costs a man something. That costs a husband something. That's exhausting to live that way. But he was intentional about it. He tried to win her over, not because he was trying to get something out of it, but because she needed to know that she was loved. Yes. 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 I think the most appropriate thing that you can do is someone can mistreat you in, in again, horrible, heinous ways, and you go and you break down with those that love you and can embrace you, and you go, I hate this person, I'm so mad at this person, and I can't stand it, and they get to hear your authentic, congruent feelings, and then they can come alongside you and go, and we're going to help you make sure you, you treat them the right way still, and you can't do that on your own. It works thousand times better when you are wrapped in that rest of your body. I, I agree 100%. We have to do that together. Jake Sully in Avatar, he had his small little team that just helped them, helped them fight the, the people and save, and save the, the Naboo or whatever they were called. Yes. By an act of my will, I choose to forgive. Yes, I've heard that. And God has given us the capacity to not always be dictated by our feelings. I'm doing the right thing. Even though my feelings don't line up with it, it's still the right thing, similar to your question over here. I choose to not hold it against you. I think our humanness goes, and that sucks, because this is costing me a lot. Because if I owe you $1,000 and you now go, Paul, you don't have to pay it back. It's going to cost you $1,000. And you have to endure that loss. And you can very consciously go, dang it, lost $1,000, but I'm not going to chase Paul down anymore. Absolutely. So that actually leads us right into this next spot, how to relate to a hurtful person. I think this is um, some very practical, hands-on, tangible ways to relate to a person and still honor everything we've talked about tonight, how to love your enemy, okay? The person, the person who's been hurtful, you can understand that they have elements of genuine repentance. This is what we're talking about, the elements of genuine repentance. When that person says, I take responsibility for what I've done wrong, they are no longer excusing, they're no longer minimizing, they're no longer um, uh, explaining or, or, or justifying or anything else like that. They say, I know what I did is wrong and I accept responsibility for that. They do that through the acknowledgement of wrongdoing. They will actually be able to say, you know what, I backed into your car. 
I take responsibility. I was behind the wheel. Man, it drives me crazy. 15, 17 years ago, our big, huge, beautiful car with the 72 Buick Regal. The thing was a monster tuna boat. It was awesome. Parked in front of our house, and somebody came around in the middle of the night and sideswiped it and took out the entire side of it and left half of their front grill. Okay? I got up in the morning, dang it, except this grill looks familiar. So I walk around the corner, and sure enough, the neighbor who's parked in the driveway, I take the grill, and it fits perfectly right into their front of their car. Excellent. So I do what any reasonable person does. Dear, dear police person, okay, I um, got my car hit, and I, and I know who hit my car. It's my neighbors. The car's parked right over here. Can you come look at this? And they say, well, do you know who was driving? No. Then we can't do anything about it. You're killing me, Smalls. Really? No. They say, nope, if we can't prove who's behind the wheel, there's nothing you can do. You can take them to small claims court. You can sue them yourself, but we won't do anything about it. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Don't return evil for evil. Be kind. Bake them cookies. Something. These are crazy. They could have said, knock, knock, knock. Last night I ran into your car, okay? You have my front end of my grill. Can I have it back, please? And... I understand what happened, okay? It's going to cost this much to your car. I understand that um, the, the rear, rear quarter panel, the two side doors, and the front quarter panel is damaged, and it's going to cost this much. I understand what my mistake has cost you. That is accepting responsibility. Those, those elements right there. If a person does that, and they actually have genuine sorrow and remorse. This is the one element I see, especially amongst couples, but in families and other relationships, when somebody looks across, across the, the room or across the couch from them and they go, I hurt because I hurt you. I feel, I can't believe I did that. The way I phrase it is, if somebody else would have done that to my wife, I would, I would, I would kick him in the head. I can't believe that that someone would treat my wife that way, and yet I just did that. Holy cow, honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. I hurt. I lament. I'm, I'm heartbroken that I treated you that way. That is cathartic. That, that emotion, that expression right there is the number one tool to bring restoration. And it's actually the number one thing that's missing the most. Eh, responsibility is up there high too. But people will go, yeah, I know that I hurt you. Yeah, I know that I did that. And yeah, I know what it cost you. Sorry. Get over it. And that just doesn't work. Remorse, sorrow. And then you can tell that this person has, has repented when there's actually a change of behavior. When they go, man, I keep yelling at you. You know what? I'm not going to yell at you anymore. I'm going to make sure that if I'm getting into that state of mind and I feel like raising my voice, I'm actually going to go somewhere else. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to do something. I'm going to have a change of behavior. And that change of behavior is consistent over time. Again, I see this a lot where someone will go, I've changed. Okay, I haven't yelled at you for three days, even though we've been married for 32 years and I've yelled at you almost every day. Okay, three days I haven't done it. Can't you see I'm changed yet? It's okay to be skeptical. It's okay to go, mm, I might need a little bit more time. 
I need to see time and consistency. When those things are there, it makes it much, much easier to enter back into relationship with them. Now, if those things aren't there, if those things are missing, if someone is not taking responsibility for what they've done, you can still choose to say, I'm not going to be in relationship with you. You haven't had a change of behavior. You're still not safe to be around, but I'm not going to return evil for evil. I'm not going to try to get even. I'm not going to try to keep demanding that you give something to me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep expecting things from you. I will not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste my own time and energy chasing something that I know I'm not going to get. Man, we could keep going for probably a lot more. And what I wish we could do, and what we actually might play with next week, because next week is the last one. Next week, I think what we're going to do, and again, I told you I didn't have an ending to this, so I'm going to be very conscious of the time. I'm going to end right here. I'm going to take some of these objections. There's, there's a good dozen plus right there of these objections. And how do we actually implement getting over those, those pieces of resistance. Because if we can get through that resistance, if we can remove the emotional charge that's connected to those, it might, makes it much easier to actually adopt and adapt the, the idea of, this is how I actually can love someone who's been hard to love. We'll do that with the first half of the evening. And then the second half of the evening, I typically do this, will be kind of a general Q&A. So it'll be more conversational. Um, it'll be kind of more interactive, so we'll kind of just wrap up and summarize the last whole six weeks. And then we'll be done with Monday nights, and we'll put another one in the can. All right? Okay. Everyone doing okay? Thank you very much for letting me um, push. I feel like that's kind of what happened tonight. Um, I ache, I ache for each of you to find some freedom. I don't want you to be stuck anymore. I don't want you to be stuck anymore. And I truly believe this is an answer. And if you have a hard time with this, again, come, wrestle. Refuge is a great place to wrestle with this. Ben will take all of your questions. He loves them. He has no problem feeling any question around some of this. He'll just have it dialed in. Nice to see you all. Go away. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.